we've been continuing through our, our sermon series on Proverbs, and we've called it The Good Life. And what we've said is, the good life, that phrase is subjective. Uh, many of us, when we say that phrase, we often think of going to Cancun and sitting on a sandy beach and the palm trees waving in the balmy breeze while, while Juan comes and gives you a, uh, a pina colada and you know whatever it is and you're sitting there listening to the lapping waves. And that, the problem with that phrase is because we all have different understandings of what the good life is. But what we've said is we've come to the conclusion that the good life is not just the subjective idea of what I hedonistically, if that's a word, want. It, it's the, it, a good life is a godly life. And a godly life is somebody who values wisdom. And somebody who says, God, what, what is it that, how, how is it this, that you want me to live this life that you call me? If I've, if I've said I'm a Christian, I'm a, I'm a believer, I put my hope and faith in you. What is a godly life? And so we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, and this morning we're gonna, we're gonna talk about our words, as Kirk said, our speech. Um, it was July, I wrote it, okay, yes, I got it. July 17th, 1997. You know what happened on that day? Of course you don't, you don't know, okay. July 17th, 1997, uh, it was a Thursday night, I think, or Wednesday night, I can't remember, what a Thursday. But Marianne and I were walking back from worship practice at, uh, at our old campus, and I knew that I wanted to marry this woman, and she obviously knew she wanted to marry me. <laughs> and I, I, I had just gone on a trip to New Jersey to help a church plant get started. And it was the first time that in our, our courtship that I was kind of away from her for a long time. And, it, and I knew I wanted to marry her, but I didn't know how desperately I wanted to marry her until I actually spent some time away from her. And as I was on that trip, I was like, I gotta marry this woman, like as soon as possible. So I got back, I went that very day, I got back from New Jersey, went to a jeweler, bought a ring, and I had this elaborate plan that on Sunday morning, I was gonna put up on the words on the screen, Marianne, will you marry me, right? And, but if, if you were like me, or you're, if you were in the same situation, this ring was burning a hole in my pocket. And so I had this ring in the box, I'm, I'm sure it's pretty obvious because it was like this the whole time. <laughs> but I'm carrying around this ring and we're walking back to our car. Now, this is about as romantic as it gets guys right here. You know, some of you have these like elaborate stories of proposal, but we were simply just walking back to the car in the church parking lot and we're holding hands and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm like, this is Sunday. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it Sunday. And she, Marianne, we're walking back and she just says, man, this is probably the most beautiful night ever. She goes, I think I'm going to remember this night for the rest of my life. And I was like, oh, okay, this is my moment. So in front of my Ford uh, pickup truck, Teal, by the way, okay, um, I, I open the door for her, and before she gets in, she turns around, and I'm down on one knee with the ring, and, you know, I said, Marianne, will you marry me? And that, her word of yes changed the rest of my life. Just in one simple word. That small little three-letter word, yes, 
made a huge and profound impact on us and the trajectory of our lives and really for the rest of our lives. And my point to you this morning is that words are powerful. Words are meaningful. Words carry weight. And the, the problem that we have is sometimes we, we flippantly use words. We use words and we, we don't realize the impact, the power that, that they actually carry. Um, I, I just want to read some, some things about what Scripture says about the power of our words. And these are all coming from Proverbs. Um, these, are, these are about five or six different Scriptures. So I'm just going to read through them. But it says, the tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. The mouth of a righteous man is a well of life. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Pleasant words are, a uh, are life, uh, sorry, pre pleasant words are a life of honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. But reckless words pierce like a sword and the tongue of the wise brings healing. And then here's probably the most famous one you've heard, but it's Proverbs 18, 21. It says, the tongue can bring life or death. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And so Proverbs is not short on things to say about what we say. It actually is, probably speaks the most on speech. When you're reading through Proverbs, it, it, it talks mostly about our talk. Why is that? Because the, what we say, the things, the words we use, define us. Isn't that right? I mean, you, you kind of know a person by their speech. You kind of know a person by either, what do we say about Riley? Oh, he's a man of few words, right? <laughs> <laughs> or, or there's somebody else who you're just like, man, that person, they, they talk a lot. Or, or th when they speak, it's like, some of you might remember this, but it's like, they're like E.F. Hutton. Remember that commercial? It's like, ah, everyone gets quiet, and it's, why? Because there's something so wise that this person's about to say. Or sometimes we just ignore certain kind of people because everything they say is just like, like a little yappy dog. And our words, what we say, define who we are. The problem is that we don't think about that. We just kind of say things sometimes, and we have no regard for how it's going to affect a person. And so... Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Your words matter. Now, I don't know if that scares you or liberates you, but it should inform you this morning because your words matter. Words are powerful. Proverbs 10, 19 says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Oof. Why? Because words just, yep, 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 yep. So here's what I want to give us this morning. I'm going to give us three or four different points on, on words and, and how we can use them. And then what I want us to do is, is ask God and the Holy Spirit to reveal to us this morning 
where our hearts are at when, we're, when it comes to our speech. Every single one of us here in this morning, if you are a Christian, if you have been changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, your heart has been regenerated, if you identify as someone who puts their hope and their faith in Jesus for your salvation, then you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And our job this morning, if we identify as Christians, is to say, Holy Spirit, will you identify in me the things that you want to change and transform? the things that you want to make me more like the son, Jesus. And so as I'm talking this morning, please be sensitive. Say, Holy Spirit, please reveal in my heart what, what it is that you're working. Okay? Can we do that? All right, let's dive into it. You guys ready for this? All right, if you're taking notes this morning, point number one is that words hurt. Words hurt. Um, you guys ever heard this poem? Sticks and stones may break, uh, may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is the biggest lie ever. Sticks and stones, I remember, uh, okay, now, I grew up with a very manly name, Kelly. <laughs> Most of you are envious. My only hope is that there's this cool guy named Kelly Slater who's like the coolest surfer in the planet. And, or, or Kel, yeah, and so like if you, you go, oh, okay, he has redeemed the name Kelly. But as I was growing up, especially a young, like five or six-year-old, I remember being on the playground and everyone going, you have a girl's name, right? And I was just like, mm. And I remember <laughs> telling my kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Nelson saying, they, they said I have a, have a girl's name. And she said, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you. And I was like, okay, you know. <laughs> it's the biggest lie. The truth is that words actually do more damage than sticks and stones. You know, a stick and stone is going to hit me. It might leave a little scar, but words last for, I mean, here I am, 41, I still remember being five and someone making fun of my name because it's, it lasts. Now, I've gotten over it, you know, mostly. <laughs> but words hurt. They, they, they tear us apart. And that's why when Proverbs talks a lot about words and we flippantly use words, especially when we're hurting somebody else, we don't realize what we're doing because we don't see the physical reaction. So how do words hurt? I'm gonna give us a couple, I think, things that we struggle with when we're using hurtful words. And, and number one is gossip. Proverbs 16:28 says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates friends. Proverbs 20.19 says, a gossip betrays confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Man. Now, here's how this works out in the church. Because when we hear the word gossip, most of us don't like go, oh yeah, I'm a gossip. But here's how gossip works out for those of us who are Christians. Hey, I'm just telling you so that you're aware, uh, but so-and-so, uh, blah, 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 blah. Or, hey guys, uh, let's get around and pray for Kirk because uh, he's having this deal, this issue that we all, let's just pray for his spiritual well-being. And we spiritualize gossip. And that's, and it's, I think it's often rampant in the church when that is supposed to be never even heard of. 
We're supposed to say, no, we don't gossip because we're protecting one another with our words. We're lifting each other up with our words. But what we do is we gossip. Why? Because it's juicy. It's like, it's like uh, when you're standing in the food court and the guy's out there with a little plate of the, the orange chicken and he goes, it's on the, like, you're like, oh, I'm so hungry. I just, just a little, like, little tidbit. Because it, what it does is it, long, it wants us to long for more. And somehow when we gossip or when we hear gossip, we feel empowered. We're like, well, I know something that somebody else doesn't know. And what gossip does is all it does is separate and it slanders. But we gossip because we feel this power. I know something or I'm going to tell you something. But it's a tool of the enemy to separate and tear us down. There was this, uh, this story, and I think it's allegory. But there was a woman who came to a pastor and she said, you know, pastor, I'm sorry, I, I've, I've been gossiping, I've been telling things about people. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I have this bag of chicken feathers and what I want you to do is in all the areas in your, home, in your neighborhood, in the homes, I want you to take a handful of chicken feathers and put them on the doorstep of every home. She's like, okay, she's repentant, she's feeling sorry, so she's like, okay, I'll do whatever the pastor tells me to do. So she does it, next week she comes back and says, pastor, I, I've done it, I've taken the bag of chicken feathers and I put them on the, on the doorstep. He goes, great, I'm glad you did that. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to go this week, go back to those same houses, grab all the chicken feathers and put them back in the bag. And she's like, what? That's impossible. By, by this time, uh, even seconds later, the wind has blown all these chicken feathers everywhere. They're all spread out. And he goes, that's exactly what happens when you gossip. You put out these feathers, the wind comes, it blows it around, and you can never get it back. And when we speak hurtful words like this, and we've, we've said it, it, it's our character, we become known as a gossip. We become known as the way we talk. We can never get it back. What else is hurtful when we speak? I want to say sarcasm. I'm speaking to myself on this one. Sarcasm sometimes is viewed almost as a badge of honor. Because the people that are sarcastic are the people that are quick, right? And they're witty. And they have like this really like sharp comeback. And we almost carry it around like, well, I'm sarcastic, you know? And everyone thinks a little bit, it's kind of funny. But what we don't understand is sarcasm tears down. Here, here's what sarcasm the, the, is, dis, uh, is described in the, in the Greek. It's, a, it's, sorry, it is the word sarcosmos, and it is to tear flesh, to bite the lip in rage, or to sneer. Oof. To, to tear flesh. Now, I don't know if when we're sarcastic, we're thinking about that and how that hurts people. But I know that I use sarcasm to try to like get a jab in. You ever do that? It's like somebody says something and you don't really wanna um, like say the obvious, like overtly big truth that would seem like an obvious slap in the face. So what you do is you just kinda go <clears throat> right in the ribs. And it's a bruise that no one really sees on the face, but it's a bruise that the person feels underneath. And that's what sarcasm is. You know what sarcasm is? Sarcasm is like cowardice. It's, it's a way of hiding and being funny, but yet being cutting and sneer. And sarcasm tears down. 
There was a there was a woman who I heard a story this week. A woman who committed suicide. She jumped off a bridge and she left a note. And all that the note said was, "They said." Dot dot dot. She jumped off, left the note. Because of what people had said about her, they cut her down, they gossiped, they sarcastic with her. Hurtful words. What else? I think words that hurt are harsh words. Proverbs 12, 18 says, rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Sword thrust. Now here's the thing about a sword thrust. It only takes a moment for me to, if I have a long enough sword and I get Philip and I'm boom, just get him real quick, bam. But what happens is that pierce is lasting and it's long. And when we speak harsh words to each other, it could be quick, boom. Oh, Kirk, he's, uh. Betsy, she's always, uh. I can't believe someone's like, uh. But that little jab, what it does, it leaves a wound and it's lasting, and it's gaping. I, w- I want to address maybe spouses here this morning. You know, you know the phrase, you always, or you never? You ever hear anybody say, you always do this, or you never do this? That's such an unfair thing to say. I mean, think about the reality of that. Do you, does your spouse always leave their underwear on the, f- well, maybe they do, maybe the men do. <laughs> Or you're always grumpy. Always, 100% of the time, you're grumpy? See, we use words like that because we want to like, we want to like get this person. We want to get them with our words. And so we're going to use whatever we can. We're going to try to think of a way that will pin them in a corner and tell them like how terrible they are. You always, or you never love me. You never say nice things. Never, never. And it's not fair to say always and never. It's harsh, it's hurtful. Um, Let me just address the husbands here this morning. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Now look at this. So that your prayers may not be hindered. What? So as a husband this morning, I know, I know I've been harsh to my wife. There's been moments where Marianne, I feel is like, oh, you didn't do this, right? Or, or you know, how come this is like this? Or, or we get in an argument and, and I'm quick with my tongue and I'll be harsh with her. But what I don't realize when Peter addresses the husbands, he says, be graceful, why? So that your prayers may not be hindered. Man. As a husband, I have to take that to heart and say, God, maybe, maybe you're, re- you're, you're pushing me away. You're rejecting my prayer. You're not answering my prayer in moments when I'm harsh with my wife. And husbands, it, when, when, your, wife doesn't, when you, your wife doesn't live up to your expectations, what are you doing? Are you gentle with your words? Or are you harsh with your words? Now, the other side of the coin is wives. Wives can be just as nasty, Right? Just as mean, just as cutting. And when your husband doesn't live up to your expectations, are you talking down to him? Are you demeaning him? Are you, are you talking to your friends about how your husband drives you crazy? 
Oh, you know, Kelly, if he would just, for the once love of God, you know, pick up his underwear off the floor. Or are you speaking honorable things about each other? Are you harsh with each other? Parents, are you harsh with your kids when they don't do what you want them to do? Or when they mess up? Why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? Or you're a, you're a failure. You'll never measure up, measure up. We speak harsh words because it's almost like we, have you ever heard of this? It's like a popular thing now, shaming. It's like we think if we shame the person enough that they'll like, oh, okay, I do, I see the error of my way. Thank you so much for telling me how terrible I am. You've shamed me, now I'm gonna react. Shaming actually does no good. I just read a study this morning on people who are trying to lose weight and they did this study with 3,000 people and they, they, they would shame the people who were trying to lose weight and say, you're overweight, you're fat, blah, blah, blah. And what they found was that those people actually gained weight. The people that they encouraged and said, you know, you can do this. I'm gonna help you do this. We could do this together. You, 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 there's no way you can't do this. I know, I believe in you. We're the people that lost the weight. And we, we think that if we tell our kids how terrible they're doing, that somehow they're just gonna be like, oh, thank you so much. I, will, I, I understand what you're saying now and I'm gonna to be totally perfect. And when my kids are having a rough day, I say, what's going on, buddy? How was your day? And it's not that we speak these fake platitudes to people and just like, you know, pretend everything is fine. But what we do is we see the potential in the person. We encourage them. This is easy for us who are believers. This is easy because Christ lives in us. And so we encourage one another and we say, you know what, I know you're wrestling with this, but Christ is enough. Let me encourage you, let me pray for you. What can I do to help you? The thing is that words can never be taken back. What else do we do with our words? I think words not only hurt, but we hide. Words hide. What do I mean by that? Flattery. This is what Proverbs 29 verse 5 says. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his, for his steps. So basically, when you're flattering somebody, you, what you're doing is you're like laying this trap for them. Why? Because you're trying to butter them up. You're trying to get them to do something. Hey, you know, so-and-so works at Disneyland, and you can get us in for, with free tickets. So if I go to so-and-so and say, man, you're the coolest guy ever. I just love being around you all the time. And when you sing, you sound like an angel. Um, but, but only when you sing the Disney songs, you know? You're really good at the Disney songs. And did I happen to mention um, we love Disneyland, you know? What are we doing? We're spreading this net out for somebody. We're buttering them up for something. We're flattering them because we want something in return. Or don't you find sometimes you do that with God? Or you see somebody, you hear somebody, like when, when we're all praying together and somebody gets up and prays this big religious, you know, really eloquent, sounding like they, they read it from a book kind of a prayer, when all they really needed to say was like, God, we need you. And it's like somehow we think we can butter God up a bit. Flattery gets you nowhere, right? Flattery is hurtful speech. So, 
What else do words do? Words heal. Proverbs 17, 27 says to just rather, instead of talking a lot, be quiet and listen. But kind words heal us. You know, if we are saying that power in, of life and death is in the tongue, then yes, it's obvious, we, and we've all been guilty of it, we can say hurtful things, we've said harsh things, we say gossipy things, whatever it is, we say those things. But the, the beautiful thing is that there's life in what we say. There's healing in what we say. And for those of us who have been redeemed, that means our tongues have been redeemed. For those of us who have put our hope in Jesus, that means that we should speak that same hope. And it's available to us. So often the world, the culture around us, we just kind of repeat what we're seeing and what we're hearing. We listen to the news all day and we get depressed and we say, oh, this person's terrible and this person's terrible. All these things. And we just like parrots. And we're like, quack, 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 speaking all this negativity. But for you and I who, who are Christians who've been changed, we have to understand that this is a tool that is supposed to be used for the kingdom of God and bring healing. What are some healing words? I'm sorry. I was wrong. That's a hard one to say. It's easier to say I'm sorry, but what's harder to say is I was wrong, especially spouses, or kids, with your parents or friends. I was wrong. That like is jagged little pill to swallow. But when we say that without any kind of explanation, I'm sorry, but if you would only understand, that's not really being sorry. It, or I was wrong, but you know, if, if you, if I had to, no, that's not, for, that's not asking for forgiveness. If we do without explanation, when we say these words, it brings healing. What else are, are, are healing words? It says apt words are healing words. Let me go back here. Uh, it was Proverbs 25, 11 through 12 says, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Isn't that beautiful? Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. An apt word, that means a word that is spoken like specifically, timely, and rightly for that moment. Um, there, there's this, there was a thought, we were talking about this work with all the preachers about like our speech. And one of the guys said, you know, an apt word is like taking a, a large gem and fitting it rightly in the, in the right size prong of a ring. And what he meant by that is sometimes we have this truth, this gem of truth, but we try to shove it in this tiny little prong. And even though it might seem right, it might seem like the correct thing to say, we're shoving it in this, and it's not apt for the moment. It's like people who just say, well, I'm just speaking the truth. Just get over it. If you don't like the truth, then don't worry. Well, are you speaking the truth, but are you speaking the truth in love? And so words that heal are not only words that are true, but are words that are apt and they're spoken with love. That brings healing. That brings life. Uh, Proverbs also says, faithful are the wounds of a friend when we're speaking truth in love but deadly are the kisses of an enemy. So here's the goal this morning. Well, let me ask you the question. Let me, let me paint the picture better then, and let me just say it this way. 
the, the temptation that we can have this morning is to say, okay, well, I got to speak right. I got to clean up my mouth. I have to, like, all the, all the bad things I say, all the cuss words I say, all the harsh things I say, the gossiping, all this stuff, it's got to stop because, you know, we, we know that. We get that. Proverbs tells us godly living is wisdom, and wisdom is to have good, good godly speech. And so we could go out this morning, okay, this week I'm going to be really, really good at talking nice. And, and speaking all these words of love. But that only lasts so long. Why? Because there's a problem that's not just on the outside. There's a problem that's on the inside. And it's our hearts. Look at Matthew, if you have your Bible. Chapter 12, verse 33. And this is Jesus, and he's speaking to the Pharisees. Matthew 12, 33, he says this. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Here's what the the New Living Translation puts it. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You brood of snakes. How could evil men like you speak what is good and right? For whatever, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. So here is our call this morning. We're not just supposed to go out here and be good Christians and say good things. The call this morning is for us to say, okay, God, fillet me, Holy Spirit, come and look inside, slice me open and take a look at my heart. And identify, look, pierce deep and show me, show me what's in my heart. Don't just clean up my mouth. Change this, because what is in here is gonna work its way out from here. Have you ever said anything, and you're like, ah, I wish I could take that back. And you're like, that doesn't sound like me. You know what? It does sound like you. That's who you are. You ever say, you ever get in an argument, and later you try to make up with a person, you, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. That's not true. You meant that. What you're saying is, I'm sorry you heard that. (laughs) Or maybe more appropriately, I regret that, that I said that. But when we're trying to like disguise the fact that we talk a certain way and say, yeah, that's not really me. If you knew the true me, you'd see how nice and sweet I am. No, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here's the question for you this morning. What do people think of you as? Maybe you don't know, but what's your reputation? Are you a gossip? Are you harsh? Harsh with your kids, your wife, your, your, your husband? Are you, are you hiding in the way you speak? If these are things that, I mean, there's things in there that I know are in my heart. I'm saying, God, don't just change my mouth. God, change my heart. Change me from the inside out. 
The only thing that will heal our words is a healed heart. Let me say that again. The only thing that will heal our words is a healed heart. So how do we get our hearts healed? Well, the answer is always the same, isn't it? It's always Jesus. Turn with me to John 19. We're going to end with this. You know, we've talked about the power of words. We've said that we can speak life and death over people. We've said that they hurt or we hide or they heal. We've also said that words reveal the truth of our heart. And if words are powerful, how beautiful it is that God created with words. In the beginning, God. And, and how, did he, how did he create the universe? He said. And not only God the Father creates, but we see that the Son sustains and is through the word. In Colossians and Hebrews 1, we could see that, how Jesus sustains us through the word. And it's we being like just finite beings are able to, with our words, do powerful things, tear up someone or tear, tear down someone or lift someone up. How much more worth is it when God speaks? Now here's here's what I want to point us to, and I hope that this will bring us freedom this morning in our speech. In John chapter 19 and verse 28, 28, Jesus is on the cross. It says, after this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar of full, full of sour wine stood there, so they put a on a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now these words, it is finished, should bring us comfort this morning, should bring us liberation, it should bring us freedom. Because not only does it is finished, Speak to our hearts this morning. If if we're saying, I'm wrestling with a dark heart, I'm wrestling with a heart that speaks words that are hurtful or or cutting or tearing down or sarcastic or I'm a God, I'm wrestling with this. When we look at what Jesus did for us on the cross and we take his words that it is finished, it brings liberation to our hearts this morning. Because if we're holding on to this idea that I have to perfect myself, I have to like do surgery on my own heart, I have to be the one that cleans up my mouth. And yes, we have responsibility for that. But ultimately, it's the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross that brings us liberation. And so instead of works and trying to do and like listening to all these kind of things, I will be a good person over and over in our head and saying these mantras, when we take the truth that it is finished, what Jesus has done, we apply it to our hearts. We say, God, thank you that I don't have to be a gossip. Thank you, God, that I don't have to speak harshly. Thank you, Lord, that you can change me from speaking words of sarcasm and bringing words of life. It's not on my own. Lord, I receive that power. I receive the fact that it is finished. But it's not only for us and our own hearts, but for you this morning who have words spoken over you that have damaged you, that have hurt you, that have torn you down. See, the cross of Christ doesn't just forgive our sins that we've committed, 
it, it is victorious over the sins that have been committed against us. And so when Jesus says it is finished, there's not only freedom for myself, for my own sin, but there's freedom that the sin of, that has been put on me. And I say, Jesus, people said, oh, you have a girl's name. People said, oh, you're fat or you're too skinny or you're ugly or you're too tall or you're too all this or you're blah, 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 blah. It is finished. I don't live under the words that people have said about me. Like the woman who said, they said, if she would have only understood that it is finished, there is freedom in that. John 1 speaks about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Speaking of Jesus, the Word, the most powerful Word. We're speaking about words today. It's ultimately Jesus who we look to. It's ultimately Jesus. 